I'm The Animist, and you are listening to the Video and Company Podcast. Today we have Alexander Rivera on the show. He is a DP out of Raleigh that has been doing a lot more narrative work lately. His commercial and music video stuff is stellar. On the show today, we talk about the importance of pre-production, art department, lighting, mostly about planning the shoot and how planning can make your projects exceed your expectations. So here's Alex. We're going to start for real now. Yeah. Um, and don't worry, there's like no intro or whatever. Like no <sighs> yes. staged intro. No but, stage, um, there's no music that's going to come on? Not right now. I'm so, I'll edit that <laughs> in later. Um, super briefly, if you want to just like say who you are and like um, what you do. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm Alexander Rivera. Uh, I'm a DP cam op um kind of branching into all directions i originally started doing primarily doc work uh and then transitioned more into doing commercial work and then now kind of kind of tumbling my 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 career into narrative a little bit um but yeah i'm kind of a bit of a jack of all trades but definitely primarily a dp uh want a dp solely uh, but I also do a, a good amount of G and E work just to kind of keep learning more about lighting, which which is something that personally is a, a big interest of mine and something that I feel is really beneficial to my my DP career. So do a little bit of everything. Yeah, and I remember actually um, one of the first times I reached out to you, it was because you had G and E in your bio, yeah. and I was like, I need to I need to get in on that. Like, what is what does this dude know? And you you were pretty much saying what you just said now how it's like a platform um for you to kind of like up your game in yeah the lighting and, area. and that was that was something that i didn't even really know about until other mentors and dps that i look up to kind of brought that up as soon as i graduated college i started kind of freelancing and and working and i started as an ac because that was kind of what i thought was a good good place to be and i was like yeah that's i'm going to be close to the dp i'm going to be able to to learn from them and then after talking to a bunch of DPs and a bunch of first ACs, they were all kind of like, well, if you really want to be a DP, you should probably go work in G&E. And that was kind of a big turning point in my career because I'd started kind of paying more attention to lighting and and kind of realizing how important that is to creating images in, in a way that I would say is probably the most important thing about creating images. And... Uh, so I kind of I already done a little bit of gripping and I kind of transitioned more into to doing more key gripping and then occasional gaff jobs, which is what I do now. But that was a big, big turning point in kind of like establishing myself as as more of a DP and, and learning more about how to control lighting and being able to to be a, a person of authority on lighting and not not letting that kind of be something that passes you by. Yeah, and it's something that, like, I don't think any of us really, like, when we when we first start and we, like, start buying camera stuff, we're, yeah. we're not thinking, like, maybe we should do the gaffer route first. It's yeah. almost like you get far enough into the camera world that you realize, oh, the camera, like, almost barely doesn't even matter. Yeah, it it's doesn't. It's like, yeah. if the light is good, anything will look fine. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think especially, like, when I, when I started, I was doing a lot of sports work, so a lot of the variables of what you're doing lighting wise are completely gone. I mean, like the only time you're ever really going to light something is if you're doing an interview, but if you're mm -hmm. just doing, you know, B roll of anything, you know, like campus or, you know, college football stuff, or you're at a football practice, you're not lighting anything. You're just kind of like, Oh, well, what's the best I can do with these shots? So, you, you come into it that way. And then I was a big camera nerd. So I, you know, I wanted to know all the specs of everything, why that worked a certain way. And I, once I found lighting, I was, yeah, like you said, I was like, none of this actually matters. Like it's all, it's all a lie. You know, <laughs> like if you know how to manipulate your lighting, you can, you can make anything look however you want it to look. Yeah. And I lately, I mean, not lately just because of everything that's going on, but like, uh, I started to realize I want to go bigger and I got me a tungsten kit and I think that was a good start yeah. to get into bigger stuff. But now it's like, I need to know what those HMIs are all about 
but yeah. I'm I, I'm not trained with generators or like amperage and all that stuff. And it's like, all right, there's a like serious learning curve that if I want to get past a certain point in gaffing, I need like some serious education because it's dangerous if you don't have it. Yeah, I love having a good electric on set and a good gaffer on set and just kind of being able to to even when I'm DPing, just learn from them and kind of giving them room to play uh, when you can kind of say, well, this is the general thing I'm thinking. These are the, the sources that we have. What do you guys think? And it's always interesting to hear them kind of go into those really nerdy amperage voltage things that I don't know a lot about either. I'm still learning that, that kind of side of it, but yeah, it's definitely, it's like a whole nother, kind of like arena in the same job but something that very few people really know a lot about yeah i've been actually thinking about uh getting a like doing a community college class but right now probably that's going to be hard to do unless it was online yeah. and even then <laughs> all online yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, um so i guess what we talked about uh a couple days ago is i've never been able to do a show i've always wanted to do a show where it's like, all right, I want to tackle this because it's whatever I'm just dealing with or I feel like it's something that people aren't talking about enough or it's undervalued and um, have a whole show kind of about that. And I don't want to limit this this talk too much, but yeah. um, pre-production, I feel like it's something that literally can make or break a project and um, it's just kind of like blown over. In, in yeah. most small crews, I would say like, especially one man bands, pre pros blown over all the time. It feels like, but in smaller crews, it's you know, not as common as it is with a huge crew. It's it's they take months on it. So, um, right. you work you work generally with like smaller crews, like three to five people on set, or is it bigger yeah. than that? Um, it's kind of shifted. It used to be a lot of one man band, and then uh, I think. It, 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 I, I kind of fell into this thing of just talking to a lot of people and realizing that you can only be as successful as like the people that are around you. And if you're just around yourself, that is a huge limiting factor to your work. Yep. So I started meeting more and more people and through that met people that didn't just do the same thing I did. And then successfully convince these people to want to work on projects with me. So it's kind of shifted a little bit from I no longer really work alone. I kind of always almost always have at least three to five people. And then it, it can kind of vary up upwards of that. But nothing bigger than like a 10 to 15 person crew. But yeah, kind of like small to mid mid range. And um, like what would you say your percentage of your jobs that you have to do some kind of producer role? Like you don't have to be the main producer, but like yeah. you were doing producer line jobs, line producer type stuff. Uh, pretty often. I would say not always by necessity, but almost by choice purely just because I as a DP tend to like to have a pretty strong vision and not just kind of show up and shoot whatever mm -hmm. the director has uh in mind i've i've worked with people like that where it's just kind of like hey this is what we're doing i just want you to show up and kind of make what i laid down to do look as good as possible and that i find to be not as fun as working with someone who wants to bring you in on the vision and say hey this is kind of the general outline but i want you to make this look good and we can also change a few things if there are things that, that you think could be better. And I think that's the win-win the in every scenario, I think, is, is giving people the power to express themselves, even if it's, like, you know, gripping and gaffing. You know, like, I have different conversations with those people than probably a DP who doesn't have that background, purely just because... I've been in situations where the DP basically gives you what he wants the layout to be and then gives you room to kind of be creative about how you mm -hmm. get there. And those are always the most successful situations. But I, I kind of fallen into doing a little bit more producing just to 
be able to kind of control the vision throughout and and also make sure that it runs smoothly because you know so much about being a dp is working with a schedule and having adequate time to get the shots that you want to get purely because you want your work to stand for itself but also because you want the director and the producer and everybody to be successful but it's always easier to do that when you're the person producing or at least doing some form of producing because you can see the holes in the schedule and say oh well, that's not going to work like that shot's not going to take five minutes that's going to take an hour or yeah. well you guys budgeted in two and a half hours for a shot that is just going to be running gun no lighting that might only take 20 minutes so it kind of helps do that and then also another thing is is making your crew happy because you can take care of them better if you're the person doing the producing and you can keep your AC happy because you're not making them have to do something in five minutes. It really takes them 30. So it kind of is like a way to mitigate further risks, I would say, and is something mm -hmm. that I enjoy because I'm an incredibly organized type A personality. So, I mean, I, you know, making spreadsheets is not something that, that irks me. It's like something I enjoy doing, you know, like that's a, a pleasing Friday night for me is doing spreadsheets. So if I'm already going to be doing them for shot listing, you know, putting in a little producing isn't, isn't going to hurt me. Yeah. And I mean the whole shot listing thing, um, I don't, I don't go as like in depth as, you know, some people that I see, but from going to having it like just written out on a notepad somewhere that I'm going to put on, uh, my clipboard versus like actually doing a lookbook with like, um in in depth like inserts and stuff like that it's yeah. you know even if it's just like eight images and 12 notes yeah i'm i always feel way more prepared than if i showed up and just was like whatever we got we got absolutely i think that part of that too is is almost my whole motto has been like putting yourself in a position to succeed because coming from the doc world i had no pre-pro experience whatsoever I had no experience working with a producer, no experience working with a director. It was a lot of just like flying by the seat of your pants. And I became infinitely frustrated with my work not looking the way I wanted to. And I had, you know, like slim the vision down into something that I wanted to achieve. And then I would do all the work, show up, shoot, whatever. And then it never looked the way I wanted to. And I was like, well, that's frustrating. I don't really know, you know, I can always get better, get more talented, spend more money on gear, but I feel like there's something else here. And I kind of watching a lot of, you know, videos and learning from other people, I basically just got a little bit more demanding about how things were done. And instead of, you know, saying, yeah, we can do that in an hour saying, well, why don't we cut half the shots we don't need? take three hours per setup and then make sure that we can make that setup look as good as possible. And those mm -hmm. are the conversations that you can have in pre-pro that you can't have on the day because you're going to screw someone up. If on the day of you show up and you say, Oh, well, some of these shots are extraneous. We're just going to cut them and take three hours extra because the location might not have that or actors might not be able to stay there for three hours. They might have to go do something else, you know? So pre-pro frees you up to, be more demanding about your vision as a DP. If you want to achieve, you know, this specific shot, then you can tell the director if they're, you know, especially once you get to the point where you've worked with people enough where they trust you. If you say, Hey, I think we can do it this different way. It's going to maybe take an hour extra, but I promise you're going to get like five times more content or footage from this one setup than we would if we ran around like crazy and got the, all this other stuff we don't need. Mm -hmm. Can we do that? And most of the time, people will tell you yes, unless they have a really good reason not to. But those are the kind of important things you can do in pre-pro that you can't really do at any other time. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost like doing all that stuff is like kind of like studying because you're familiarizing yeah. with the content and you're also, you know... Uh, using your experience of technical knowledge of like, I know if we do it this way, it's going to be difficult or easier. Yeah. But if you actually like study the material, the per I would assume the person that has like studied the material the most is going to have better ideas and decisions. And, um, 
you know, the stuff where, like, I, I, I feel like I've gotten to a point now where I'm doing all the stuff that you just said, and it's making productions way easier. Mm-hmm and also higher quality but then i run into some uh whether it's like client work and it's you know me and a a grip or if it's just like me and straight up a client um and i've produced everything and they've greenlit like all the production documents and stuff like that and then we get on there and uh they they want to kind of like go a different direction and i'm trying to backpedal it where it's like all right if we want to stay on schedule and get what we need We got to do this. And then they come out with like, oh, you're not able to improvise. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that because obviously, I mean, I feel like I could improvise, but it kind of feels like it's out of the realm of the discussion, you know? Yeah. Or is that, or or is that uh, the wrong way to think about it? No, I think that I, well, I don't know. That's so much of this is specific per project. I would say it depends really what you're working on because- when I've had really good riff moments where it's just like, oh, that light over there is really good. Let's, you know, this scene was initially supposed to be over here. Let's take it over here. Or, you know, we initially planned on doing B-roll here, but we're going to go do it over here. Stuff like that can work out. It's not, you know, it's not a formula. I don't think you should ever lock yourself into like, oh, well, we said we were going to do it this way and I'm just going to hard headedly head in this direction because that was what we had on the schedule. But I also think that, you know, I've seen as working on a lower level position as maybe just a grip with a bigger crew, I have seen the pitfalls of director DP producers getting really happy over something that they didn't need. And it totally really stabbing themselves in the back because or stabbing their other teammates in the back because somebody will say, Oh, well, you know, I, this location didn't look as good as I thought it did. Scout looked better. Let's go do it somewhere over here. Or, you know, something that totally over overhauls the schedule. And then you end up with like the worst set of repercussions because you had to drive 30 minutes in the opposite direction to do this one scene that probably wasn't that important. And then now you have to start paying people overtime or you have to cut people out because you don't have the budget to pay everybody's overtime or you ran out of light. And if you ran out of light and you want to do something a blue hour, it means you have to either push your schedule the next day back or figure something out to get that scene. So mm-hmm. I, I think it can go both ways. I think it is like a very calculated, smart decision by a team that can do it not in a rush fashion. I think whenever I've seen people try to rush to get something done, it very rarely works out because Mm -hmm. unless you're considering the other variables that might go wrong, it might end up costing you more than you think. And, you know, it's almost like the, the whole like perfection is the enemy of completion debate, which Mm -hmm. is like, if you try to just make everything look perfect, it's probably not going to work out for you. And that was something that I learned as I kind of delved more into the narrative thing is you probably aren't going to make every shot look incredible, especially when you're working on narrative where there's long conversations, you might have to settle for some, you know, thing that isn't as incredible as you wanted it to be. When you consider that it's like a 20 minute short and this one scene might only be two minutes of that, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, well, it's like the conversation. It's like what we just talked about. It's like, oh well, we have to shoot a blue hour scene in an hour, and I thought I was gonna have two hours to do this scene, and so I can't unload stuff from the truck, and we're gonna have to go pretty light so I can send the rest of the people that I have to go set something else up. So I'm gonna compromise on this because I know I can deliver on something else, mm-hmm. and sometimes you have to do that. You know, it's it's impossible to watch any movie that you've ever seen that you love that not every scene and every shot looks incredibly perfect. And there behind every bad shot, there's a DP that was frustrated by the fact that he couldn't he or she couldn't make it look the way that they wanted it to look. And that's, you know, I think I, I'm definitely riffing off of something somebody much smarter than me said, but I've heard, I heard that somebody, someone on some podcast said that. And I was like, man, that is just the compromise of life. Well, so 
to kind of kind of shift a little bit, um, pre-pro and art department kind of go hand in hand. Yes. But art department and the look, which I guess is what like our job is all about, is the look. Um, is you know we said if if your lighting is amazing, then it doesn't matter what camera you use. But also if you have phenomenal lighting in an empty room, like what what, what is it a good looking shot? You know, yeah, it's an empty no. room. So like art department and set dressing and all that stuff is a really big key. Um, do you have any, have you had to be a part of those kinds of discussions when it yes. comes to producing and stuff? Yes. Um, I know that the first time I really started caring about art department was like, I was doing a master class and they said the three, the important triangle in a narrative piece is the art director the dp and the director those are the three most important people that are going to define the look of the film i like that and i from that moment on that was like a light bulb i was like man this art department thing that really really matters a lot and i was doing another master class on interviews and they were talking about the dp should be one of the people that's helping pick outfits for interviews and picking things that are going to contrast well with your lighting and your background and your setup and your lens and your depth of field. And again, I was like, whoa, that's, you know, I've never gone into an interview set up and said, well, can I get three outfits and I'm going to pick one because, you know, you might have a blue background that looks gorgeous with a yellow, but it's going to look awful if you put a black on there or if you put a blue on there. So mm -hmm. it was kind of all at the same time. I was like, well, art department matters a lot. And I still have not had the pleasure of working with a true full art department, but I've worked with a lot of producers and directors that understand how important it is. And we're kind of like putting all of us in a position to do art department, which I've really enjoyed. And I've also worked with incredibly talented directors that will do a small short and will art direct themselves and they will bring in props and do everything. And because they, that's how much they want their vision to be articulated. And it matters a lot. I mean, it matters a lot what shirt your talent is wearing or what color, you know, their blouse is, you know, it, all that matters. And, and it's also when you start thinking about narrative stuff, you always want to serve the story. So, if you know if you have an empty room and it's supposed to be a loving family home that's probably not going to work out and if it's all supposed to be a broken home you should probably clear that room out and make it look a little emptier you know those are the little mm -hmm. things that are going to help the viewer be in touch with your story and through that is going to make your cinematography look a lot better because it's going to feel like it fits with the story and arguably is also one of the easiest things you can do to bump up your production value, you know, is just building in a pre-light day where you can get in and set up a couple lights and then also clear out the room or fill in the room or do whatever you have to do and is not largely impossible to do on most, most sets. And it adds a, a ton. Are, are there, are there any like, kind of tricks or, or some, something you've noticed. Like, um, what I've been doing a lot lately with, like, art department is um, we... I usually try to have money set aside in the budget, mm -hmm. you know, for, like, the things that are going to be particular. Like, if we're doing a, um, like, a 70s-style Italian thriller film or something like that, we know, like, there's a couple <laughs> motifs we got to hit that, you know, none of us have. So yeah. I've got to go buy those or rent those. I buy a white tuxedo, a box um, of cannolis. Yeah, more Roscoe gels. Oh, absolutely. Um, but so like, you know, those are some those are some processes, and even you know sometimes like if we if we write in a particular spot where it's like for some reason the chair is kind of like that rifle hanging above the fireplace where it's like mm -hmm. that chair is important to the, the story. We got to go right and find chair. that. Yeah. Right. Um, have you been in any of those instances where um, you've had to like go out and help find those things and, and like acquire them, whether that was like renting or buying or, you know, having someone donate it for the time? Yes and no. Luckily, every time I have 
been in a position I've never really been the person to have to go find stuff but I have been the person that weighs in on yeah that's the right chair no that's not the right chair uh we need a fish that's going to be hanging above the fireplace because this guy's a maniac stuff like that but I've never had to go out and look for stuff per se I am often I really like lamps I think most DPs love lamps. So I would say I have an adequate lamp collection of my own that I will often bring to set on like, you know, if it's a short and there's a lot of living room stuff, I'm probably gonna bring like three or four lamps of my own that I know are gonna look good in the background. Uh, that is something I, I bring pretty often. Um, and, and, you know, like I'm always, available to bring own things of mine that you know we need an end table or something like that but a lot of the times I, I maybe I've just been really lucky but I've gotten a lot of directors that will go out with talent and you know they'll say well what's the color palette what are you thinking for outfits I'll throw out a couple colors I'll throw out a couple you know blouse skirt you know button-up shirt stuff like that oh I think it's gonna work and then they'll just send me options and say, well, these are, you know, we, me and talent narrowed it down to these three. We think this is going to fit well. What are you thinking for, you know, what's going to look good on camera? Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe I think I'm just really lucky. I've gotten to work with good directors. Well, it's so crazy that you mentioned this because I've been planning to do this for a while. I just had my, uh, when COVID happened, I uh, had to get rid of my storage unit because it was just an unnecessary expense and yeah. storage downtown is for some reason like three times the price of anywhere else um but i was just starting a lamp collection yeah i like i had these like <laughs> clients who were older ladies and they were like oh i have a ton of lamps in my attic you can come by and pick them up i'm like this is like Taking christmas payment dude. in lamps I, it was like my I mean, day rate is uh 32 different lamps please I'd, it'd be close but uh i don't know like floor lamps i feel like are so versatile but um yeah yeah like i feel bad because some of my clients like we'll rent an airbnb because they need like um i i did a couple like commercial things where we would just rent like a cool house for a um lifestyle brand or something like that yeah, and it would just like be like open talking kitchen heads. and stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. and like the first thing i do when i get in there as I take inventory of all the lamps and then I start trading them off in different rooms and like Absolutely. writing down on sticky notes, like this lamp came from this room to so put it back when we leave. Yeah. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is everything. Like the, the lamp. Cause I mean, I, it, it does feel that my work has become very formulaic and I'm trying to get out of that, but it's pretty mm -hmm. much like one tube light or like uh, a diffused key and a practical like, yeah. If if you look at the past like twelve Instagram posts, <laughs> it it's a key and a practical man and a key and a practical. The the lamps are always one, the practicals. Two. Yeah, I think all DPs have their one two punch. You know, like it was kind of funny. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, "Yeah, I'm just you know I'm trying to build up my lighting setup. Um, what's your go to fill light?" And I was like, "I don't use fill lights. Maybe I, I should." But I was like, maybe I should, but I don't own a light where I'm like, yeah, it's my fill light. I am a big bounce guy. Like, you know, I think, I think that's natural. I think you key and then you kind of work with a bounce to give you whatever you think is natural that would be giving you back from your baseboard or your wall or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I, I have had that conversation multiple times and it's made me really question if I should start fill lighting. <laughs> but I think for me personally, I have like a bad association with fill lighting because I attribute it to like bad mid two thousands, like crappy work. Like I hate when you can just see the fill light and you're like, yeah, that's not, there's no way that's there. But Are I you love about like five D generation filmmaking. Yeah. Maybe that. Yeah. yeah. Just like whenever you can see just like the nasty 5,600 that isn't even matching the key and it's like a really grotesque fill. It always makes me kind of cringe. But I want, like now that I've had that conversation, I want to start using a fill light when it is right, just to like test myself. 
to like <laughs> to like know can I use a fill light? But yeah, I don't know. I think all DPs have that like little one two, like whatever their go to is that they know that can make look good. Yeah, I just feel like I'm getting way too used to it, because um, it's just like uh, all my stuff starting to look the same. Do you know? Um, is it Ben Davies or Ben Davis? He's on ben, Cook Optics YouTube channel a lot. Ben, I don't. I want to say it's Davis, but he um he did. I don't. I want to pull it up real quick, but he did um he did Avengers, and he did a ton else. Three billboards outside of yeah 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 Missouri. Yeah. He okay. did, and then I apparently he's been doing a ton of Marvel stuff. I think I binge watch Cook TV so much that like I only recognize people if I see their faces because yeah. like I'll go on like a 35 video binge where it's just like people talking and me taking notes in my notebook and then I completely I'm terrible with names too. I'm that person on he, set. Go for it. He did layer cake. That's why it came to mind. Ah, okay. That's a great movie. Um I'm that person on set where I'll like shake your hand and introduce myself. And then as soon as I let go of your hand, I realize I didn't hear you say your name. Yeah. And I'm like so bad at doing that. And then I feel terrible when I have to like ask someone like, oh, who's that? Who's that person? Um, but yeah, I'm not oh, terrible with names. Don't feel alone. I'm the same way. Like <laughs> my, my dad taught me like when someone tells you the, their name, just say it back and it'll stick. So like, oh. I'm trying to. That that's a good it really one. helps. That's but a like, good one. You gotta re- you gotta that. remember to do it. So. You have to remember to do it. I yeah. think it gets hard too when you're kind of on a binger of a lot of work and it's like your fifth or sixth day and you only know two people on set. Like you only know the director and the producer, and then you like don't know any of the grips or like no PAs or anything. Or when you're gripping and you're working with a crew that is like out of town, so you like don't know anybody other than like maybe the one other grip they hired locally. And it makes it so hard when you've done like five or six of those back to back pre COVID yeah. days, of course, cause no work now, but yeah. And then you get, you get, you get so bad about it where you're just like, man, I'm not listening to any of these people's names. I need to like listen to names. It's pr- it might be on the call sheet. I always do the walkie checkout. Like I always oh. go check out the walkie checkout and then just cause I feel if I, if it's like, man, it starts with an M, it starts with an M. Michelle, that was her name. And then it'll like kind of jog your memory. You're like, Jeff. I knew it was Jeff. So, yeah. You don't look like a fool until you call them the wrong name. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a Michelle and a Morgan and you totally mix them up. Or <laughs> like a, a Jeff and like a David. But yeah, um, Cook Optics, man. Like that, that was... Uh, that YouTube channel is revolutionary. I can't remember how I stumbled across it, but I've been watching them for a couple years. And... um. I like how they just don't have like these like pioneer type um, DPs and gaffers on there. It's almost like it's all like I don't want to say old heads, but it's like it's like seasoned it's a lot of dudes. Old up there. And like a lot of the times, you know their movies, but you don't know them. Yeah, I think it um, depends what kind of cinema you are drawn to. Which I know you and me both are oldies, and I think it also depends your level of respect for prior cinema. Which I think is impossible to neglect if you're serious about your career. But if you're one of those people who's like, oh, I don't watch anything in black and white. I don't watch anything old. I just, you know, I watch YouTube videos made by vloggers to improve my lighting. You are not going to enjoy Cook TV. But if you're someone who really cares about, like, if you're reading old film books and watching anything pre-1950, cook optics is gonna like be your shit honestly (laughs) like yeah you're gonna just you're gonna go on those binge rants definitely you're just gonna start watching all this and you're like this is the the good things do not stop yeah well it's just weird like i guess i brought up ben davies davis i don't know i think it's davis ben Um, d davis he uh he did he did like the avengers stuff and Mm -hmm. i noticed recently like i'm accidentally looking like him like i'm like i don't even watch his stuff and go like i want to do that like yeah i'm just accidentally doing it and um and i i realized maybe that's why the marvel movies look 
way too unrealistic and that like i'm making my stuff look unrealistic because everybody has like a hair light yeah you go you go to a reverse and there's like an outline everywhere yeah it's like i don't know it just looks it looks cool like i don't know there's a place for it all you know you need the grunge and you need the clean i remember i was on set with a a dp who i really look up to and uh he was kind of going through this big transition from being a commercial dp to wanting to do more narrative work and uh i flew out for the job um i was the only person that was like not in the crew and i was just acing and because i was flying in it was me the director and a dp on an airbnb for like five days so these guys are like way above me in terms of like what they're working on and it was like the most revelatory five days of just getting to pick their brains all the time and i was definitely in a big filtration stage which i i would say i'm i still enjoy filtering but i remember this dp just saying nobody really uses dirty lenses in hollywood because it doesn't always serve the story. And I was like, man, that makes so much sense. And he was like, if you watch any of your favorite Hollywood films, I guarantee you they're shot in the most pristine, most clean glass ever. And they're still making something creative. So don't use that fallback of just like, oh, I'm gonna do a half BPM on there because it's gonna like make it look more interesting because Mm -hmm. that might not always be the answer. But then, you know, there's always a place for it. Like, I always think, looking back on Arrival, which is one of my favorite movies, and uh, Be Young, in the end there, when he does that, like, he did a, a talk about it, maybe on Cook Optics, where he talks about he was shooting, like, one two one four, and he's doing these incredibly, like, painterly, just, like, gorgeous low depth of field. It's still the cleanest glass on planet Earth, but it looks incredible and it fits exactly to what you need to think about in that last little bit. But, you know, it's about finding other ways to do that. Not always going on like the easy way. And I honestly do not remember how I got on this tangent, but it's something I think about a lot is like you want to, you know, make things happen with not always following the trend. And that's something that kind of trickles down a lot from Hollywood, I think. Yeah. You were saying you were saying there's time for grunge and time for clean. Oh yeah, and yeah. I, well, and I like I think you made multiple points there. Is like the the young crowd. Like there's even a world that I haven't even gotten into yet. And sometimes I think like maybe I don't know about stuff. But it's like no, you know what it is. You just aren't for it. And just because you're ignorant of the industry, I'm talking about Black Promise and all those filters and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Never used them. But I see this stuff and I'm like, okay, like I get what they do. It's like yeah. not for me, and I don't know about the products. That doesn't make me ignorant. It's just like, no. if if you know, Sony cameras aren't my thing. I don't need to know the product line. You know. Yeah, and I think that you know, it's a big pond. You know, we don't always have yeah. to all be into the same stuff. I used to try to reconcile with like, you know, you start networking and when you're more in the middle ground, you're trying to network with these people that are doing big projects who you really look up to that are doing feature films. And if that's the direction you want to go into, you know, me, I, I really, at this point in my career, 2020, I think I want to do narrative feature films and short films. That is my current trajectory in two years and six months. I might all change. But that's where I'm headed, and that's what I find really interesting. That's why I like Cook Optics. That's why I watch – I can't remember watching a movie that was made in the last 50 years because I'm just crushing all these old films. But that is is directly correlated to where I want to go in my career. I would be a absolutely terrible vlogger, but if I wanted to be a kick-ass vlogger, I should probably go learn more about – vlogging and doing quick edits and doing transitions and do using zoom lenses with autofocus. I know nothing about that, but that's okay. Cause I don't need to know anything about that. Just like yeah. if I was a vlogger, I wouldn't have to know anything about all the crap that I know now about light setups and pre-production and all that stuff. So I used to kind of try to, you know, I wanted to like network to everybody and be like everybody's friend. 
And then I just kind of realized that like sometimes you're going to network with someone. And, and somebody asked me this the other day, somebody that is going to app and they're graduating and they, a professor reached out to me about talking to them. And then he asked me what my best tip for networking was. And I said that you're not going to get along with everybody because it is absolutely impossible to think that you're going to network with, you know, if you're doing a good job networking 200 plus people a year that you're going to meet and network with, and you're not going to get along with everybody. And I think a main part of that too, is if you're networking with other directors and DPs, they're probably not always into the same stuff. You know, you might meet somebody who really wants to do commercials. Like their whole goal is to do like high key commercial work. So like they probably don't, you know, really do a lot of mood work because they like doing like high key fashion commercial work that doesn't make their work bad. It makes it awesome at what they're doing, but it's impossible to kind of cater to everybody. And I think it's okay to say, Hey, this is where I'm at now. This is what I enjoy doing. This is what I think I want to do. And that's okay. And then you might network with somebody who doesn't want to do that, but you become friends with them. And then in 10 years, they want to do the same thing you're doing. And then that's a good connection. So I think it's okay to like realize that there's a big pond in filmmaking and there's like a lot of little cubbies for everybody that wants to do their thing that's a really good way to put it and i can definitely relate with the whole networking thing because sometimes you like meet people and it's like oh i'd like to work with them or i would like want to talk more with them and it's like yeah. you you don't fit a gap for them and it's like why like at that point you know if you want to be friends cool but networking isn't necessarily for friendship it's usually business progression and but yeah, I definitely hear you on that one. Yeah. My best networking has been friends, like not networking. Like I have been networking a lot during this time. It's a lot of zoom meetings and the length of the zoom meeting is dependent entirely on how well it went. I think in a lot of ways, because a lot of the networking that I've done that's gone incredibly well ends up like not even being networking like you end up talking about like hobbies and interests and what mm -hmm. movie you watched and you're like three hours in and you're like whoa i gotta go like eat dinner and but this conversation is so good i think that's like what all networking should be unless you yeah. are you know you want to do a 45 minute chat with somebody who's going to hire you on their next project and there's definitely you know that happens i'm not saying it doesn't happen we all do that we all you know you, you all got to make money and and work on cool projects. But I think that those, especially, you know, as DPs, when you're trying to network with a director, so crucial to have that kind of basement almost to the house be built on things that have nothing to do with work. Just like having the same morals, thinking the same things, or you end up with like bad directors who like don't want to feed their crew. And then you're like, how did I end up on this shoot? Like, this isn't fun for anybody. So you, you've been networking through Zoom lately? I, yeah, I think I've dude. been seeing people do that, and I just, like, I haven't tried it. Uh, like, I'm not, I'm not, I had just talked to somebody recently, and I was like, yeah. I do kind of miss in-person networking. Yeah, I Even do though too. last year I hated it. Um, yeah, It's almost like does. when you don't have it, when they, you, you don't. Everybody does when they first get into it. Yeah. Especially if you're like awkward and shy, which I am, I would say both. Yeah. It's, it's definitely it's, hard to reach out to people. I feel like, um, when I was, when I networked or just in any kind of social interaction, if I'm me, Ethan, as a person, I'm going to be shy. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to enjoy it. It's going to take like way too much courage to like speak up or like yeah. break ice with somebody. But when I'm the owner of the Animist, it's so much easier. Like, I don't even, it doesn't even, Yeah. it's like an alter ego or something like that. That's a terrible way to put it, but it's, that's kind of close. Dude, you're like a, like a super, superhero. Um, yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's work is a great, uh, way to get in to networking. You know, like if you're coming at it as like, Hey, I'm a DP and you're a director, we should know each other makes it a little easier than you just like kind of reaching on. You're like, Hey, I'm this guy and I, I really like to meet you. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, Zoom networking, it's the same thing as normal networking, I would say. It's a lot of just like reaching out to people and seeing if they're available. But the thing about it is like a lot of people are super available. So like it's a lot easier to slide into those DMs, especially when you're trying to work with bigger DPs that are traveling a lot. Uh Now they're not traveling. So like they might have that, you know, half an hour um, that that you might need to to chat them up. I would definitely say it's easier if you go like the friends of friends route or like, you know, someone that they know or you followed them for a while. I would not recommend like following the largest represented DP you follow and then two days later zooming them and trying to get in touch with them. But you know, it's easy to kind of the people that are on the barrier of your network where like, you know who they are and they might even know who you are. It's really easy to like kind of bridge that and say, Hey, we have a lot of mutual friends would really love to chat. And, and getting that done now in this time is also like the best hack for feeling productive on a really hard day when you feel like you are not being productive whatsoever. Are you familiar with Evan Borsier at all? I am. Um, have you ever watched any of his like the stuff? I don't know if it's leaked from Patreon, but it's like videos that were meant for his Patreon page, but he puts on YouTube publicly. Uh, I would say no. I have no? seen like some of his older stuff. But not, I don't think I've seen any of his newer stuff. Oh, okay. Because I, I think might have been, uh, like, this time last year, I started to see stuff where he would go through, like, um, call sheet. Like, he would screen share, and he would go through, like, call sheets and treatments and um, yeah. spreadsheets and, like, literally, like, the full shebang of, like, corporate production of like uh-huh. this is how you would schedule yeah. stuff this is how you have your contact forms and all that stuff and i was like that kind of like was a great pre-production little seminar that i felt like kind of probably got seen by like a couple thousand people but yeah, i don't know it seemed like something super resourceful yeah i didn't know if you checked it out no i've seen all that kind of stuff on wandering dp i'm a big fiend for wandering dp i think that that site changed my life but <laughs> i think it there's probably a lot of dps that are just like obsessed with wandering dp and i'm one of them but you know that uh, it's invaluable to put yourself in a position to look at those resources and i've kind of cultivated a little list of things to keep an eye out from directors and dps i follow on social platforms as well as wandering dp I always love when, you know, a DP is like, oh, these are, you know, my top five books that helped launch my work. And I always immediately go buy those books. And I have like a big shelf of books. And like, there's a reason why DPs and directors collect photo books because they're the best for references and looking through. And just like, if you aren't feeling super inspired and just sitting down and like looking through a photo book is can be incredibly refreshing, but yeah, I mean, just like podcasts, books, shows, YouTube channels that are, are going to be potentially very helpful for your career are always like welcome suggestions. Well, are are there any books that you've read recently that you helped a lot? Uh, There's the ASC book, which is the four, I think it's the four C's of cinematography that one can be infinitely helpful. The, uh, the interaction of color, the Joseph Albers book, also incredible. Um, painting with light, which is, uh, by the DP John Alton. He was like a film noir DP, super interesting career. Uh, basically resigned his membership from the ASC, had like a very interesting career path, moved to South America, decided to come back and continue DPing. But it was just a legend. But he wrote this book, which has been like his longstanding contribution to cinema, which is called Painting with Light. And uh, it's all like C-stands from like the 1950s. So none of the gear is really stuff that we still use. But all Uh the techniques are still so applicable. And just like if you like watching old movies it also is incredibly interesting to watch because it's like all the techniques that are being used in those films um yeah i think those those three books 
are are really good reading. I legitimately call it study time. And like I will move things in my schedule and tell people, oh, I can't because I'm studying. And if you know me, then you've heard that and it's not weird to you. If you don't know me and you hear that, you're like, that's so weird. Why is this, this dude like, what? He's not in school. But I think it's important to, especially if you're passionate about being a DP, you have to realize that like everyone, not everyone, but most people are going to be more talented than you. That's just like a fact of the matter. And there's mm -hmm. also another DP told me this once, which is there's always someone above you and always someone below you. Someone is looking at your work and they think that you are the A1 day one. You're a legend. And you're looking up at someone saying the same thing. And I remember looking at some DPs and, you know, you hear someone like Bradford talk and he says, yeah, we didn't really do a lot of pre-pro. We just showed up. Uh, we're shooting, you know, 7203, whatever, 35 mil. And uh, this is what we came up with. And, like, that's how he legitimately talks about shooting, like, multiple scenes in Arrival. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I could show up and do anything close to as good as that. But if you study and you learn and you do pre-pro, you can maybe get pretty close. And... You know, you want to make up with, you know, somebody asked me that the other day and I said, I make up with my lack of talent with just sheer knowledge. And I'm not saying I'm an untalented individual, but you can make up whatever it is that you don't have that the other guys and girls have in this industry with just like sheer knowledge. If you can just know more and have more experience to when you're put in a situation that's uncomfortable and you're running out of daylight and you don't know what to do if you can call back on all that like lighting knowledge that you have and you can say, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know how to do this. I'm going to mitigate this and it's going to, I'm going to get there, you know, faster and it's going to look just as good. You'll probably be a more successful DP than the person who's like flying by the seat of their pants ad living it all when they get to that situation and they're like, Oh, I don't know what to do. Then that's not going to be good for them or going to be good for production when they have to say, well, we need an extra day. We need more money. We need all this stuff. So if, if you can educate yourself and, you know, watch a lot of movies or watch a lot of music videos or watch a lot of commercials, whatever it is you, you whatever the content is that you want to make, and then you can learn through lighting, knowledge, through books, through whatever, to be able to do that, you will be an asset to your team and also be a much more successful dp i think well i think those are wise words wise words to end on yeah um appreciate you coming on and um go ahead and send me that uh demo reel and i'll, I'll be sure and throw it on the video version. absolutely so thanks for listening be sure to check the notes for websites and instagram handles to check out the guest be sure to follow me on instagram at i am the animist and youtube at the animist official thanks